I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetters just doing a post-game wrap-up as Washington goes down to the hands of number two seed overall, uh, number one seed in the district, but uh, 81-59 loss to North Carolina. Chris, it just seemed like at times Washington was just trying to hold them from really just putting the pedal to the metal and really making this thing out of reach. They hung tough for a while, but boy, the talent disparity I thought was pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they average 86 points a game for a reason. Um, you know, they're pretty darn good. Um, you know, so Washington actually held them five points under their, their season average, which is interesting, but, uh, yeah, giving up 41 points in the, or 40 points and, uh, at half and, and everything like that. It was just 41, I guess it was, but it was just, uh, it was just one of those things where it was pick your poison. I mean, if uh, if they wanted to go inside, they used Luke May and they used Nasir Little uh, in that high post to kind of attack. And if that wasn't working, they'd go outside to Kobe White. And I think he hit four threes. A couple of them were just kind of like prayers that were answered. So uh, they were doing everything right on offense. And, and Washington, it took a long time, I thought, for them to really kind of absorb the pace of North Carolina and, and the numbers that they were bringing. I mean, anytime there was a, a rebound, they were, they were in Washington's, uh, you know, front court within a couple seconds, it, it right. felt like, and they were just going, going, going all the time. And it took a while for them to really get used to the pace. Um, well, when you didn't, look- didn't get the takeaways that they wanted to, I mean, there was just a number of things you could point to that North Carolina mm-hmm. kind of took away from Washington. Well, I think the big thing is just the rebound discrepancy. It was 48 to 24, and the reason is Carolina's just big. I mean, their two starting guards are 6'6". They got a 7'1 guy, and then they've got the, you know, the two other big forwards. And when you've got that kind of size and that kind of length, and you're going to out-rebound an opponent who's typically getting average, you know, getting beat on the boards by eight rebounds a game you're sending those guys out you know so getting those quick outlets and scoring you know really quick and that's what they were able to do against Washington I wouldn't say that Washington couldn't stop them I'll give North Carolina a lot of credit that's a really good team Chris well yeah they're a number one seed for a reason they're really good and um, yeah I, I mean the rebounding thing to me was secondary I think the offensive rebounding thing was a lot more important um, you know I mean Utah State had a nine rebound edge over Washington going into that game, and they out rebounded Washington by six. And, and what happened? So, yeah, I think it was this, the second chance points losing that that seventeen to four. Um, you know, just just the overall in terms of they held them like the, I think they had five offensive rebounds in the first half. North Carolina did, and it was like five to three or something like that. So that was manageable. But as soon as as soon as North Carolina kept putting the pace and, and putting the pedal down, and they just kept coming at them in the second half. Um, Washington couldn't respond. I mean, they just didn't have the offense. They just couldn't make the threes. I think the three seniors, um, Green, Thibel, and Crisp, were I think three of fifteen from three combined, and it was just um, it was just a situation where they just didn't have enough firepower to uh, overcome a, a really really talented North Carolina team. Couldn't handle their pace. Didn't have the numbers to be able to sub in and out to keep going, and it was just a very very difficult matchup overall. Yeah, I mean, it just. I, I keep on giving credit to Carolina, but Washington, I thought, shot right around 50% um, in the first half and wound up uh, shooting uh, 38% for the game. So that gives you an idea of how badly they shot in the second half. But again, credit to uh, Carolina. They've got some guys on that team. You know, they're just loaded. So you know, Washington's playing, you know, and they don't have a perfect roster at all with um, 
um, Noah Dickerson, six 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 seven. That's your big. Hamir Wright is what probably six seven six eight. They're lacking that true big. They have them coming in, but that's not until next year. But uh, you know, just for what they were able to do, twenty seven wins with this roster, second year at the helm with uh, Coach Mike Hopkins. Uh, you know, for me. You know, advancing, getting a first-round win. And last year didn't make the tournament. This year they made it, and they got a win advancing to the field of 32, but uh, just not enough to get by a team like Carolina. Right, and they, you know, now getting to the NCAA tournament needs to be the standard for Washington every year. I mean, it used to be that way under Lorenzo Romar when he had it rolling, and then they dropped off pretty much off a cliff after that, that 2011, you know, season. And, um, and it's just, it's disappointing that it kind of went in that direction, but now with Mike Hopkins, with the experience that he has, with the experience that he's learned now, it's the first two years as a head coach with the staff that he has with Cameron Dollar and Dave Rice and, and Will Conroy and those guys and, and, and the, the continuity piece there. And then you're, you're adding the recruiting as you're going. If they can add a Jalen McDaniels, Jaden McDaniels to the, to the lineup, um, to a lineup where you're already going to be adding an Isaiah Stewart. You've got a shooter now coming in, a Raekwon Battle. You've got a guy running the point in Marcus Shonis. Um, there's just there's pieces in place now that that seem to be coming together. You have two full recruiting classes under Mike Hopkins. Uh, you've got Quade Green coming in as a, as a transfer. There's there's uh, rumors of maybe another transfer coming in at some point um, that has connections back east with Hopkins and Syracuse. So you just never know. I mean, there's just there's there's things obviously that they're really going to miss. With this senior class, like Matisse Thibel and and kind of the way he just almost kind of revolutionized the way that guards can be used in that Syracuse type zone, um, we may never see those kind of numbers ever again, Kim. I mean, it's just what he oh. did was simply mind boggling, and and Hopkins called it uh, otherworldly, the the analytics for it. But yeah. um, you know, just just everything that those guys kind of added, they really set the table. I wrote about it today. They laid the foundation. Now it's up for the guys coming forward for next year to kind of take it and really run with it. Well, you got a little bit of the glimpse of the future with uh, Jamal Bay. You know, the last few games, he's really come along. And when you take a look at Jamal, physically, he's built a lot like Matisse. I think he's got more offensive firepower than Matisse. And, you know, Matisse's defense is something special. So it's going to be real intriguing to keep an eye on Jamal, you know, at the top of the zone to see if he can, you know, get anywhere close to duplicating what Matisse is able to do in the zone. Uh, also, you know, we talked to some of the coaches off the record, too, and some things that I've heard is, you know, Nate Roberts is a really big uh, guy. I mean, he's like 6'9", real long, talking about possibly putting him at the top of the zone. And then, of course, Jalen McDan- Jaden McDaniels, if they are able to secure him, he plays the top of the zone at Federal Way High School. So if they're able to get him. But I think the future is really bright. But when you take a look at the lack of size with Washington this year, you know, with just, you know, uh, Sam Timmons, who's basically just a banger, and you're going to use him against the bigger bodies. Amir Wright's maybe 6'8", but he's more of a wing than he is a post player. And then Noah, who's an undersized, you know, having to play the five, but, you know, he's ideally a power forward. But you, you know, put in Nate Roberts in there at 6'9", in the length, and then Brian Penn Johnson at 7'1", with that huge wingspan. Get him coming in. I won't expect much out of Riley Soren. He's just too raw. Bringing in Isaiah Stewart and then possibly Jaden McDaniels, the possible length addition to this team. And we'll talk a little bit about the guards that they've got coming back too. But the length isn't going to be a problem. And I think today is the day where you really start building what Coach Hopkins really wants to build. 
I agree. And and when you do look at that back line, you go from having a back line of Jalen Noel and Noah Dickerson and and um, guys like Amir Wright and and um, you know um, Dominic Green and guys like that. You go from that kind of back line to now all of a sudden a potential back line of a Brian Penn Johnson and uh, and a um, Nate Isaiah Roberts and Isaiah, Isaiah Stewart. Stewart. And then you add Bay or you add Bay and you add Sam Timmons and Hamir Wright, which I think, to be honest with you, as much as the development of the younger guys is, is key, I think Hamir Wright and Sam Timmons, the development that they make going forward until next season is going to be absolutely crucial because they're going to need those guys as starters to really set the tone for the younger guys. Because, well, again, well, we don't really be- know. We don't really know how the younger guys are right now. Yeah, we've heard things about them from here and far, but we just don't really know how things are going with them. And obviously we're going to find out soon enough, but uh, well, you know, guys like Timmons and Wright need to step up and really be really need to be accounted for. Well, I think the thing with him here, right, is he's not going to have to play out of position. He'll be able to play his position again. And that's huge. Imagine if David Crisp didn't have to play points as much as he did this year, that he could play the shooting guard and not have to run the point and them having a quality point guard, getting Hamir right out under from underneath the basket is going to be huge in his development. Sam Timmons is what he is. They're going to need him at times. Um, you know, I think he's a good role player. But, yeah, like I said, the big thing with Hamir is getting him back to the position that he should be, which is further out from the basket, not underneath in the paint. Right. But do you, you know, is Brian Penn Johnson going to be able to start right away and be that 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 true rim protector and that true uh, middleman in that zone? Or are they going to have to go to a Nate Roberts? Or are they going to have to go to an Isaiah Stewart in there? Um, you know, it's difficult it's to know. I think it's Isaiah Stewart. I think Isaiah Stewart's a starter down on the low block. I think Brian Penn Johnson is a guy that you're going to get eight to 12 minutes a game out of. And, you know, by the time the conference season starts, hopefully they'll be getting a little bit more out of him. He's got a long ways to go, but without a doubt, he's got the talent in. He's got the wingspan. Isaiah Stewart, maybe 6'9". Sometimes height doesn't tell the whole story. He's got really long arms. He's really long. So he may be the same, you know, with that reach could make the difference of a seven foot seven one guy but um you know with isaiah stewart there and then hamir Wright, and possibly jalen mcdaniels down there Jaden, i'm always getting those two mixed up jalen and Jaden. there's just so many options and then like i said you know you get jamal bay who i'm really excited about and you saw glimpses and i think he's got a little bit more firepower than matisse but i think the key to next year to make everything run is quad a green i know you haven't seen much can i talk a little bit about quad a well i'm kind of curious as to what you think the, the starting since we're kind of already talking about the future what's the what what do you think the starting five is going to be for the first game of the year um well i it, first of all i don't think i think jalen noel's going to i know jalen noel's going to declare for the draft um we'll see what feedback he gets uh, the key will be we'll be 100 percent positive if jalen hires an agent or not but i think jalen wants to go and if he has to go overseas i think he's okay with that but um I I think it's a slim chance that Jalen will be back. I think it's going to be Quade Green and Nas Carter at the guards, Jamal Bay, uh, Isaiah Stewart, and Hamir Wright. That's what I see. Okay. I mean, it makes sense to me. I, th- I think Jalen's gone too. I think that you have the one time where you can test the waters, so there is a chance he could return for sure. But again, I think when you're looking at uh, you know guys like Quade Green and um, – Nas Carter up front. I think that's that's pretty good in terms of scoring load as well. Now, can they replicate the kind of defensive presence that a Matisse Thibel brought them? No, but um, 
you know, they should be pretty good in, in, in terms of, of what they, what they know, because they, because they understand it. They understand the zone. Obviously they're going to be a year removed for Aquati Green's been here for a while now. So he understands the zone a little bit better. And then that front line. Yeah. If you can, if you can uh, run that front line of Amir Wright and Isaiah Stewart and Jamal Bay, and then run uh, Nate Roberts and, and Brian Penn Johnson off the bench, that's not a bad way to go. And then have a Raekwon battle as your, your dominant green type of shooting guard. Uh, or bigger guy coming in off the bench, that's that's not a bad way to go. And then you've got, obviously, Timmons as well. Well, the big thing is, to, in order to make the zone work, in order to make it work, you need that rim protector. They don't have it. Isaiah Stewart's a rim protector. He'll be able to block those shots and intimidate and affect shots. And then they can bring in Nate Roberts to do that, and then Brian Penn Johnson. And we'll see have to see how they develop, and even Jaden McDaniels to a point. But they're still going to be long, and I think – you know, where you may lose something with Matisse Thibel on that outside, you're going to gain on the inside because you're going to have those guys that are going to be able to block shots and intimidate and drive guys further out from the basket. Yeah, I think you know, what's interesting is that they didn't necessarily suffer that much from not having a true rim protector this year, Kim, because Thibel almost became their rim protector just farther out, out off the basket, you know, because of the number of blocks. You know, he had 82 blocks this year. I mean, that's just ridiculous. There's not, you know, guys that are considered rim protectors don't have 82 blocks in a year. So um, that was an interesting aspect to it and kind of a different facet. And and I think something that that Hopkins kind of tried to utilize as a um, as, as a kind of a pseudo replacement a little bit for being a rim protector. But there's no doubt now you've got size. Now you've got guys that can actually do it and can be more of that traditional um, that traditional five in there that can really kind of alter shots and do that stuff right at the rim and not only do that, but also really gobble up rebounds, which is something you really have to constantly be working on when you, when you run zone. And they really haven't had a point guard and that's where everything starts. David Crisp has been forced to play point guard. He never really was that guy and he was forced to play it. Quade Green is a five-star point guard who can shoot the ball. But the thing that I'm really impressed with what I've seen from Quade Sometimes it's the intangibles. It's the little things. One thing that Washington, I think, has lacked in, in the last few years, and more than the la- last few years, is a tough guy. Quade Green is a tough guy. When you see him out there, the way he competes and holding guys accountable, he's got some dog in him. He really does. And it's been a while since Washington's had that guy, had that attitude like a Will Conroy. And I hate to bring up Will again, you know, because I know Will so well, but they haven't had that tough guy like that since a Will Conroy or an Isaiah Stewart that absolutely hates to lose. It just will drive and drive and drive. They're going to get that in quad A green. Um, I saw him out there just shooting, and I know it was just shoot around, but I would say he was out there shooting threes for a half an hour, and I'd venture to say he's about shooting about 80% from three, even though he wasn't defended. And that's still pretty pretty impressive shooting exhibition he put on. And when I talk to the coaches about it, I go, yeah, he's a really, really good shooter. There's a reason he was a five-star recruit coming in. So just having that point guard, Chris, having that true point, they've missed it for a while. I think it's going to make a big difference. Well, and it's a, it's going to be interesting whether, you know, I mean, it sounds like he, he obviously can run the point, but he sure sounds like a scoring guard as well. Yeah. And so it's like one of those things where he's got the scoring component like Crisp had, but he's a better shooter and probably brings some some different intangibles to the position, which is, you know, we'll obviously see if it's an upgrade or not soon enough within the first few games. We'll be able to see what he's going to be able to bring to the table. Um, but it is interesting that uh, you look at him and then Elijah Hardy, Marcus Shahonis, you're looking at guys that probably have a little bit more of that kind of 
running the point, running the show kind of mentality, as opposed to David, who obviously came to Montlake as a two and really had to completely transform his game and buy in to what uh, Coach Hopkins and those guys needed from him. And, and to his credit, he did it 100 percent and d- did it to the best of his ability. And that's all you can ask a kid to, to do, frankly. And and um, again, you know, winning 27 games in your senior season, winning the Pac-12 regular season championship. Uh, getting to the second round of the NCAA tournament, not a bad way to go. Well, again, I think that one of the most important things in the offseason to keep your eye on, as well as, you know, recruiting always, but it's just the development of, of um, Elijah Hardy. He came in as a point guard. He could shoot. He's lightning quick. Uh, he didn't get a lot of playing time this year. I think they would have liked to have gotten him a little bit more, but it just didn't happen because they were so deep with the upperclassmen. But Keep an eye on uh, Elijah Hardy and his development. That, I think, is going to be key to the offseason as well. Yeah, I think the best thing that can happen for a guy like Quade Green is to have uh, Elijah Hardy right up his butt. Because, you know, Hardy, I I don't get the sense that he's just going to want to give that thing away. He's had his year of playing behind David Crisp and playing behind the point and playing kind of his second fiddle and and having to to do whatever he has to do. But now is going to be his time. And and um, I just suspect that... Uh, He's going to be a guy that's either going to try to really push a uh, quad a green as far as he can go or, you know, God forbid, you know, all of a sudden now he's maybe like, OK, if, if this is the way they want to go, do I have to go somewhere else? Because now all of a sudden you're starting to, you know, get into a culture where they might have so many players for so little spots that you're you're having to start to see guys that may have to look at other places to find the playing time that they're looking for. And that's a good problem to have. But at the same time, for a, for a program that's just starting to get going again under Mike Hopkins, you, you'd like to see those guys stick around and really kind of continue the forward momentum that these seniors put together. Well, when you talk about, you know, with Hopkins, he likes to play about eight deep. It's tough to go to nine. It's almost impossible to go to 10. And when you take a look at all the players they're going to have, the one thing that they really lacked this year that a lot of people, you know, were commenting on was shooting. They're bringing in one of the best shooters in the country, Raekwon Battle. Where does he find time? Yeah, but again, you look at North Carolina today, how many guys played in their game? Let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. They had 15 guys play. <laughs> now, granted, five of those guys came in the last minute. But even if you take that away, they went 10 deep. And well, they, they were played, legi- and they were legitimately 10 deep. Well, they went eight deep with you know double-digit minutes. Everybody else was just... Not a lot, but it's tough to, it's tough to extend beyond eight, you know, and that ninth guy is going to get some time, but that 10th guy, it just makes it real tough. And that's why I think a guy like, you know, Marcus Shahonis will probably red shirt and he's, um, more of a combo guard than a true point. He can play both. So it'll be interesting to see that, but I think he'll red shirt, but boy, they've got a lot of talent. And like I said earlier, you know, when we started this, I think today is what hot when Hopkins really starts building what he wants. He was more or less coaching what he had. And now from this day forward, he's building the program in his image and what he sees. And that's length. And he's got it in spades right now. Well, if I do my numbers correctly, there's only one guy that he hasn't recruited onto this team. And that's Sam Timmons going yeah. forward. Right. So, yeah. you know, and, and again, that's like air Hardy Timmons Green, to you, by the way, that's air Timmons. Well, okay, but, you know, Quade Green, for instance, is still a guy that he knows and recruited, so that, you know, there's that, but, uh, 
yeah, at this point, it's going to be hard moving forward to say that this isn't a, a full Mike Hopkins team in terms of development, in terms of putting the pieces together, in terms of what he wants and what he thinks he needs to push this program to, to where it needs to go. And right now, it's still at a pretty high place. But um, again, I think that's up to the, you know, that's the senior setting the bar going 15 and three in conference in their final season. Um, they, they've, they've left, let's put it this way. They left the program in a hell of a lot better place than they found it. And that's all you can really ask of a, of a group. And so I, I hope that Washington fans really, um, appreciate what these guys did and what they were able to accomplish because when they came into the program, there was not much going on. Another thing to keep an eye on, we're starting the coaching carousel again. Uh, Viking Jones down at Cal was uh, released. Rumors of Jason Kidd possibly taking over there. Uh, I've got to believe that Travis DeCur, who was an assistant there for a while, he's at Montana State. I've got to believe he's a possible candidate. I know Travis is a candidate at Washington State as well as Leon Rice. And I also know that the three Washington assistant head coaches contracts are all up next month. Uh, Coach Hopkins was able to get his contract extension and some numbers reworked. I'm sure that the conversation included an assistant. um, What do you want to call it? A budget for the assistants, an assistant pool. But uh, they've got three coaches and something that's really interesting about you, Mike Hopkins. And I've talked to you about this, but I'm not sure I've really talked very much about it on the boards. Mike Hopkins doesn't have a first, second, and a third assistance. They're all number ones. They all make the same amount of money. Every one of them makes the same amount of money. And going forward with these contracts up for negotiation, I think there's going to be some coaches that are going to be of interest. I know that Dave Rice wants to be a head coach at at some point. I'm not sure if he's going to get that opportunity after this year. Um, I think Cameron Dollar's pretty happy where he's at, but you know Cam's always going to want more money. I think the hot guy on this staff could be Will Conroy. He's young. Uh, he's got NBA experience. He's got that tenacity. He's a great recruiter, um, and he's never been fired. But when you can get a young African-American head coach like a Will Conroy who can recruit kind of the Pied Piper of Seattle basketball – I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Washington State coach, whoever they hire, reaches out to um, reaches out to him, Travis DeCour, if he goes to Cal. I wouldn't be surprised if Travis reaches out to a Will Conroy. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets some inquiries from some NBA teams. So something to keep an eye on uh, between now and uh, you know the contract time. Do I think Will's going to go anywhere? I think he wants to be here, but you know that there's going to be some money thrown around. By the way, the um, how about Scott Woodward down at Texas A&M? You know he's going to offer Buzz Williams a 10-year contract for stupid money, right? Maybe. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand the coaching carousel for basketball nearly as well as I do for football, but the idea of paying— Scott Woodward, 10-year contracts. Well, he gave yeah, one to but, Lorenzo. But, but the <laughs> idea of paying the head coaches or the assistant coaches the same amount of money is, is a, a great idea in theory. And you really, I think Mike Hopkins is really going to thrive off off a a staff where they kind of check their egos at the door and and, and getting the same kind of money is kind of a a sign of that, for instance. Um, But, you know, again, with the new contract that he just signed, you know, there's got to be money for the assistants, too. There's got to be some trickle down to it. And um, they've earned their money this year. I mean, they've earned their money. They've put Washington on the precipice of doing big things if they continue the forward momentum and keeping the continuity of the staff as I think is a big part of it was, 
you know, when you talk about those types of things, Kim, it's no different in football. No, football and yeah. basketball are same thing. You want the continuity piece with the coaches. You want to be able to have minimal turnover. You want to be able to keep the attrition low. You want all those things because continuity and, and then the experience builds off of that. It's it's it all kind of builds on itself. And there has to be some money for those assistants going forward. And I know that that uh, Hopkins earned some uh, some bonus money for what they were able to do in terms of winning the regular season title, getting to the NCAA tournament. So, again, I, I think it's only reasonable and fair and uh, and probably a, a good assumption to think that these guys are going to get paid off at the uh, in the next month or so. Going to be an interesting week with coaching carousel, you know, for the basketball coaches, because then you've got uh, you're going to have the NBA stuff starting up here pretty quick where you're going to see NBA coaching carousel. What's going to happen with Sean Miller down at Arizona? What's going to happen down at UCLA? Uh, Texas A&M has that opening and Scott Woodward, the former athletic director here. Uh, where it is they're going to go after Buzz Williams, who's at Virginia Tech really hard. He is originally from Texas, so uh, that might be interesting. Uh, Scott Woodward likes to make big splashes and give long-term contracts, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, you know, Boise State, does that open up with Leon Rice possibly going to Washington State? So uh, lots of interesting stuff going on out there in coaching carousel, but it's been a good year, Chris. I mean, I've had fun. Uh, you know, Coach uh, Coach Hopkins always makes it fun because he's a little bit unpredictable. You never know what's coming. So, uh, any final words to wrap this up? No, just just a, a, a just my gratitude to the seniors for stepping up and and believing in what Coach Hopkins was selling and and buying in and going 100 percent all the time. And uh, the results didn't always add up the way they wanted to. I know for sure. Um, they would have wanted to finish the Pac-12 tournament off this year on a better note. They would have wanted to finish off their NCAA tournament experience this year on a better note, obviously. But again, there's only one team that gets to say they won their final game of the season when you get to the tur- when you get to tournament time, and um, that's just the way that goes. And um, I think overall, a phenomenal year. Uh, that that 12 uh, game winning streak in the middle of the season was something special, and I think it, it, that's something that that I think fans. You know, I know I know they'd be disappointed now in terms of the how the way the, the season finished and not just today, but just, you know, the Pac-12 tournament and just the end of the season going, kind of going two and two the last couple games. But, um, you know, overall, look to that stretch of 12 games in the middle of that season as a glimpse to what the future can be when Hopkins has all his guys going and he's recruited all of them and they're fully bought into the zone and they really hang their head on, uh, hang their hat on defense first, and then they have that scoring because they have shooters and those kinds of things. I think that's what you can look for in terms of the future of Washington basketball right now. It looks really, really bright. Twenty-seven and nine overall record, but what was even more impressive than that is eight of the nine wins were against teams that were in the tournament. So uh, to me, pretty impressive year. Hey, for all of us at dogman.com, just a reminder, if you want those uh, daily updates in your inbox and uh, as well as any breaking news alerts, shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. Just again, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter, and we'll get those daily updates and breaking news alerts in your inbox every day. For all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters. Go dogs.